Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you need business mobility solutions that are more than just business as usual, you need Enterprise. A trusted partner, Enterprise has the expertise to help you go the extra mile. For the short term, for the long haul, and everywhere in between. So go with someone who thinks outside the box truck and get custom transportation solutions that maximize productivity, reliability, and savings. Go with Enterprise and start driving business.
Alright, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, July 24th, and man, it's hot as hell here in New York, and I love it. We had such a crappy, like, you know, May and June. It was cold and damp and chilly. I mean, I'm not talking like Alaska Arctic, but I mean, you know, compared to what we should normally get in the summer, this week, the summer finally arrived here, and I'm happy as all hell. I, I, except when I gotta go to work, but you know, other than that, I love this weather, I really do. Right there, Future World, we're pretty amazed. I think it was 1982 when I traded with a friend, or a pen pal as we called them back in the day before we had the internet and we wrote letters to each other, over in Europe somewhere, and they gave me a copy of the Pretty Mage demo from, uh, like I said, I think it was 1982. It couldn't have been the Heavy Metal demo, because that was the same year I bought the EP. They had City Light and Shelly the Maid on there. And I remember going to my local record store, ZigZag, and seeing the EP on there with the girl with the fishnet sockets holding the guitar. And I said, holy crap, I gotta get this. And I've been such a Pretty Mage fan since then. I mean, I, you know, like the EP when it came out in 83, and Red Hot and Heavy and Future World... That's like the trilogy to me. Those are like their three best records. They really changed dramatically after that when Jump the Gun came out or Lethal Heroes. It had two different names, I think, that record uh, in like 1990. Uh, definitely different sound of band. They started with the Def Leppard route. They started out as a really great, you know, heavy metal band. And then little by little, the commercial part of what they wanted to do started to filter into their music. And that's what we got on Red Hot and Heavy and Future World. But they were still great, solid records. Big fan of that band. And, you know, the singer Ronnie Atkins. I've had Ronnie on my show multiple times. It's been many years since he's been on here. Uh, you know, he's battling stage four cancer. And that's pretty much like, you know, end stage. Uh, he says, like, he's just living life, you know, in three-month intervals. So hopefully, you know, they'll be able to keep it under control as much as possible. Ronnie can get a lot more years left in this world. Great singer. Great man. I'm looking forward to new premiere. He just actually put out a solo record. I think I played a solo for about a week or two ago. Uh, I got to go check. If not, I'll get one on next week because we just did some pretty maids. Alright, how about we head over... Oh, tonight, Dave Enos from Emerald is our guest. How can I forget this most important part of the show is our guest. We'll be talking to Dave live in about 35 minutes or so. We'll give him a call out in California. And we'll talk about everything going on with the band. And hopefully we'll get some good news that there's brand new music coming from the band. Alright, my good friends and anger is us, Steve Gaines. Everybody knows him from the good old days of Abattoir and a dozen other bands, and I'm not going to start naming them all right now. Anger is is in the studio working on a brand new studio record. I heard little snippets of it here and there that Steve's been posted from the studio, and it sounds killer. Let's go back to the last studio record they put out here. It's Dim Carcosa. <laughs>
All right, Explorer out of New Jersey with City Streets, and right before that, Traveler, Diary of a Maiden. I tell you, I love that band. I mean, I, they're a new band, but not brand new. They've been around for quite some time, but like in the new generation of metal bands, JP, what an amazing vocalist. I mean, everything that guy touches is like gold. What a solid act that they are. I absolutely love them. And before that, we started off this set with Anger Resort. Uh, we're going to talk to Dave Enos from Emerald in about 15 minutes. We'll play a few more songs between now and then. I saw the other day in the metal news, you know, Ripper was complaining, Tim Ripper Owens was complaining because Judas Priest didn't reach out to him about the reduction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, to me personally, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame don't mean anything. I see people getting upset over it every year because this band hasn't been put in there. Judas Priest wasn't in there until recently getting nominated, even though it's not even like a real nomination. They gave like one of those, we're sorry that we didn't get you in the right way, but we're going to put you in anyway type of nominations with a, with a separate type of award. And, you know, Maiden didn't get in there, and all these other bands weren't in there. And people get crazy about it. I'm like, who gives a shit? I mean, did any of these bands get into this 30 or 40 years ago because they thought maybe somewhere in the future there would be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or a Heavy Metal Hall of Fame for them to be a part of? I mean, you've already established yourselves. You already have a legacy. You're rich. You're famous. You play in front of tens of thousands of people every time you go out on stage. You've put out dozens of great records that will live forever and ever. I mean, do you really need a nomination? Is that that important to you? I mean, I, I just don't get it. I mean, I know, like, I'm in that generation, too, I guess, where we grew up watching award shows. I mean, because basically we only had three TV channels growing up, you know, Channel 2, Channel 7, and Channel 4, and a couple of local stations. So when the award shows came on, it was a big deal, and we watched them. But this generation today doesn't give a shit about the award shows. They don't watch them, and it's no different than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, but Ripper was complaining like that. He felt like, you know, priests. Priest should have reached out to him, and I don't get why. But yes, you were in the band, but Judas Priest had a lot of people in that band over their lifetime, and you know they didn't get nominated. I mean, I mean the guitar player now, Richie Faulkner, he didn't get nominated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, and he's been with the band for what, 10, 11 years, replacing KK Downing. I, I think it was that long ago. I, I couldn't be absolutely positive, but he's definitely in the band for 10 years. He's been on some of the. You know, the last couple of records by Priest were actually pretty good records. He was on there. He didn't get nominated. I don't see him going on the news bitching about it. Ripper joined the band, and he put two records out, which most Priest fans don't really like. The only Priest fans that like him are the ones that go on Ripper's Facebook page and praise him every five seconds about something. So, you know, they're like, oh, those were great records. They're classics. They should have been in there. No, they're not classic records. They're not even good records, in my opinion. I mean, I didn't care for them. I mean, did you care for Jugulator Demolition? I mean, I know I didn't. Couldn't get into them at the time. And he was in the band for about eight years. You know, Richie Faulkner's in there longer. He didn't get in. You go back, I mean, I think Dave Highlander's getting in. Well-deserved. He was on all those classic Priest records throughout most of the 80s and the late 70s. Les Binks was on all those earlier classic Priest records. You know, the three, you know, I want to say founding members of the band, even though some of them came in later than others. You know, you got Ian Hill, Rob Halford, Glenn Tipton, K.K. Downing's getting in too. You know, all four of them. But, you know, they also had other drummers that were in the band at one time or another. I mean, they had Alan Moore, who was in the band, who played on their first record. Should he be in there for playing on their first record? It wasn't a great one, but it was the album that brought us Judas Priest, right? You know, does he get in there? I don't think so. John Hinch, what about him? Said Wings of Destiny. Does he get in there? No. I don't hear them bitching or complaining. I don't even know if they're still alive, to be honest with you. But, you know, Ripper's just always complaining. Ripper, to me, is like the guy who came into every band after the fact. He came into an established band like Judas Priest and, you know, because he sounded like Rob Halford, but people didn't really care for that. They wanted Rob in the band. He joined Ice Earth after Matt Barlow, you know, and other singers were in Ice Earth too, you know, it had everything. Good records, but, you know, you weren't the original singer and people want that. That's just part of life. Hooked up with Dio Disciples, you know, I mean, 
he does a lot of these things. Like, he's on, like, 100 albums a year, this guy. He sells himself out to anybody and everybody who'll pay to have him on a record. And they, like, all these bands will hire Ripper to sing on one song on the record because they think it's going to bring attention to the album because Ripper's on there. But to me, he so diluted his product by performing on anything and everything that comes his way. Anybody comes by with $10, you know, he'll take it to sing a song on the record. So it kind of dilutes... You know, your performance. I'm talking a lot of shit. I actually think we have Ripper on the show in August. So I will mention a lot of these things probably in a lot kinder way. You know, because I don't like to attack any guests. I, I try to be polite to all of them, whether I feel one way or another, because they're on here to promote something. And, you know, he's on the new Held Hostage record. Held Hostage are a local New York band who've been around for a very long time, have a few records out there. He sang on the whole new record. He's not a part of the band, they just hired him to sing on the record. So when you go to see the band live, you're not getting Ripper Owens unless he happens to be in town and, you know, wants to come by and sing. You got to pay the guy to get up on stage with you, probably. I don't get why, you know, I don't get why bands do that. And, I, you know, it, you're a band. You know, establish yourself on your own. Don't hire someone else to sing one song on your record. I, I just don't get it. That's me personally. Uh, but that's just the way it is. So does Ripper deserve to be in the Rock Hall of Fame? You let me know. I don't think so. I mean, Ronnie James Dio wasn't nominated with Black Sabbath, you know. I mean... You know, Sharon Osbourne wasn't going to allow that to happen anyway, so that was irrelevant. That was never going to happen, but those were my two favorite Black Sabbath records, probably. The Sabbath that I kind of came into on my own in 1980, when, you know, when Ronnie was in the band, you know, Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, that was my Sabbath, you know, and he wasn't nominated with Black Sabbath. I loved, I, you know, Born Again, I loved that record. It's one of my favorite albums. I never thought I would be that into it when it came out because I didn't know how it was going to work with Ian Gillen singing, you know, from Deep Purple with Black Sabbath. The albums with Tony Martin, Glenn Hughes, they were all great records in their own right. Classic Sabbath, probably not, you know, but I think people just kind of gave up on the idea of Classic Sabbath after Dio left the band. It just became, you know, Tony Iommi's band with different people singing in it, but do any of them deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for those records? No. Great albums, but it's just the way life goes. All right, let's get back to the music over here. How about a little... I noticed that half the songs on today's playlist all have metal in it. Here's Saint's Anger with Danger Metal.
All right, out of England, Egypt with metal ships. I got to give David Cole in a couple of minutes, so how about we jump into a real quick Emerald song, and I'll get him on the line right after the song's over. Here's We Attack.
let's get Dave on the line. Hello? Dave, this is Mike calling for our interview. You're live on the air. How are you? Great, Mike. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. I'm even happy I'm getting to talk to you and more happy that the band is back together. <laughs> Sounds like a Blues Brothers line, but the band is back. <laughs> You're about right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's a great thing. I mean, I have to tell you, a big fan of the band going back to the Arm for Battle EP, 1987. I remember grabbing a copy of that in my local record store. It cost me a fortune because anything that came out of New York was an import <laughs> to the local record stores, but well worth every penny of it. Oh man, that just that's just so great to hear. I you know it's funny that that album. Um, you know we were young. We we put we basically funded it ourselves. We did everything right except we didn't do, know anything about distribution. So we put all the money into the recording and the artwork, and uh, you know for the album cover and everything. But we didn't have any money for distribution. So uh, you know through a friend of a friend, I I ended up uh, meeting meeting this gentleman his name is Jurgen uh Hedwald, and he's a German guy and he just so happened to be out here from Germany and then um somebody hooked me up with him and and he got the the album uh distributed throughout like you know Europe and, and a lot of other areas that we never would have made it New York I have no idea how I made it, how I made it out to New York you know because it was it was just that obscure you know but it's so cool to hear people I mean I get people that that uh contact me from all over the world telling me that they've you know heard the album and man if we would have just uh, been able to <laughs> to tour to back it up back then who knows what happened you know so, yeah it was a great ride though you know it's always easy to look back now and you know think of all the things you could have did or should have did back then but at the moment you're living in it and it's not as easy people think like how come the band didn't do this how come the band didn't? like you're not there in that moment you don't know what's going on and it's a whole different world but you know I mean let's kind of take it back to the beginning for a lot of people that don't know much about the band yeah yeah I mean you know the album came out in 87 but the band was around for, for many more years before that in one form or another when did it all come together as Emerald uh, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny because I grew up. Uh, you know, my mom and dad both from the East Coast. My mom was from the city. My dad from from Boston. They they both had musical you know music in their background. My mom played piano. Or she played organ by ear. My dad, um, my great grandmother, she played organ at church and stuff. So musical family, but just not direct. You know, my my parents were from the Depression era, so. They were like from that uh, that kind of perspective, like oh, music—that's a nice hobby, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you know, hard, hard, hard workers, you know. Um, but anyway, so just growing up around that, um, you know, I, I started dabbling with uh, drums, and then for about four years, I played trumpet, maybe a little bit of a baritone, and then everything changed for me when a friend of mine came over uh, in junior high, and he brought his guitar, and it was like, oh man, that's 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 what I like. So I was like. 12 years old, I think, at that time, and start playing guitar, and then, you know, get to school, junior high, high school, and you meet some friends, so basically the first uh, lineup of, of Emerald was basically myself, uh, a friend from, from school, and, and a friend of a friend that was a drummer, and we, we played in the guy's shed in the back of his house, you know, so basically it was like a tool shed that had electrical, that was our first jam. Yeah. You know, and then uh, from that point, it, it just kind of, you know, we, you know, it started, it basically, we didn't have a name back then. And then, uh, then I ended up, 
one year, you know, my sister, about six years older than me, she was dating this guy. She got married. And I remember one year we were, you know, driving around, uh, you know, I was like, I think 14 or 15 at the time. I was about 15 at the time. We we're driving for Christmas time and, and, uh, he starts, you know, we've had Judas Priest, you know, we're the Sad Wings of Destiny album, and he starts, you know, just singing along with, like, Victim of Changes and just nailing it. I'm like, dude, have you ever thought about being a, you know, a singer for a band? And he's like, no, not really, you know. So uh, that's that's when I ended up getting Larry, who ended up, you know, he's he was my brother-in-law, but I ended up, you know, kind of recruiting him into the band, and that was probably, geez, uh, 78, somewhere around there, because I know the first gig I ever played, I was, like, 15 it was a, a club and stuff so that was kind of the the, the first uh you know formation of emerald so 78 you know we started playing a little bit of clubs here and there we were doing all covers but we were doing a, covers of like obscure like 70s like hard rock bands and this when i say hard rock because this is you know well before metal is even well known metal invasion of like yeah yeah i mean like right before like like in the early 80s and stuff you know so um, that's kind of where, where it all started. And then, you know, just like any other band, you burn through, you know, the musicians that, you know, just just are not really into it or they're, they're not as devoted or whatever. And then we, we, we settled on the lineup that we had that did the Arm for Battle album. But anyway, back to the, um, I was I was trying, I was going to touch on the name of the band. So we were, I, I remember when everybody was going, like, hey, what are we going to name the band? And I just, you know, we were going through a bunch of different names and stuff. And I remember, one of my favorite bands at the time was Thin Lizzy, and one of my favorite songs, still one of my favorite songs of all time, is the song Emerald from Thin, Thin Lizzy. Yeah. And that's where the that's where the name actually came from was the Thin Lizzy song Emerald. So that's where we got it. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, like you were saying, because you know the yeah. underground metal scene really didn't start kicking off until around 1980, 81. You know, people put it on Metallica, saying you know it was them that brought attention to the scene and exactly. when you think about the 70s I mean we had Black Sabbath Judas Priest ACDC Kiss the scene, so you like exactly. really predate all of that so when it comes time to formate oh, yeah. your sound like you know when you go from like you know playing your covers to like saying hey we're gonna do originals now I mean there's not a lot to draw on as far as like the new bands that were coming out you're basically going by what was there before you but also creating something that was relatively new for everybody to hear yeah, you know, and that's that's a, a great way to put it because my my you know music for me growing up, I mean, the first band that ever did that did anything to me was was Black Sabbath, and still to this day they're they're like my number one go to band as far as influence wise because Tony Iommi, I mean, there's no bigger guitar sound than I I don't think there'll ever be a person that'll have as big, a big guitar sound as him. But Tony Iommi was huge for me. And then Michael Shanker was huge, you know, with uh, UFO and bands like that. So a lot of the, you know, early 70s bands and, and you know, Thin Lizzy and just, just bands like that just had a big influence on my writing. And then, of course, uh, a, you know, progressive bands like Yes and, and Kansas. And, you know, and then when I first heard Rush, it was all over, you know. So all those bands, you kind of throw all, all that stuff in there and then, my love for like more of the classical and then also I love a lot of the blues and you kind of mix that, you kind of season it with that. And I guess that's probably what comes out in the style, you know? And, um, we just, that, I guess you are what you eat basically. And, yeah. you know, I was eating a lot of that kind of music growing up, you know? When did it go from being teenagers playing, you know, high, you know, being in high school and playing cover songs to saying, we're going to become an original band now and we want to get to this level? I mean, did that come sometime in the later part of, or I should say the mid-80s, because the album came out in 87, or was it earlier than that? That's, that's, 
uh, it was one of those things where probably I would say in the even before like the metal thing hit, like here in LA, you know, like 81, 82 metal, you know, a lot of LA bands, you know, that was where they, they, they kind of broke out and stuff. But I would say we kind of decided we wanted to go more original around that time. And for, for I think the, the downfall for us is being that I was kind of like the leader, you know, I was the leader at that time, but I was still young, you know, I was still, you know, 16, 17 years old. So I still didn't really know what was what, you know, but so that what you got in that that during that time was like, hey, let's go from doing the covers to let's, you know, and we started playing like all covers and we went to like maybe 50 50 and then, you know, 75 percent original, 25 percent cover. Then we went to all original. And, you know, the 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 bummer was at that time and I'm sure you had that like in New York, too, uh, it. it um, it, it, ha- it just got to the point where it was like there were so many bands hitting in, in L.A. at the time that clubs were going. We called it at the time pay to play where it was like, yeah. you know, you, you pre-sale tickets and and then um, you sell basically to family and friends. And, and then whoever goes, goes. And, and it's not conducive of, of a good environment as far as having new people hear your songs. So there's only so many times you can sell your own you know tickets to family and friends you know? <laughs> sure, so yeah. at that point. Yeah. So that, at that point, I think that's when we started working on the album and we thought, you know, what, we got to get to do something right around the time we did ours is when Motley Crue did Motley Crue's their, their first album. And I, you know, I, they funded their first album too, but I, I, I told the guys, man, I go, I think our production is probably as good, if not better than, than theirs. And they got picked up, but they, you know, we had a relationship, you know, my, my, the, the singer of course was married to my sister. You know, I was engaged. But, you know, you get guys like Motley Crue, you know, they all lived in one bedroom apartment. A lot of bands that were so devoted, you know, ate Top Ramen and stuff like that. We were different in that because we have the relationships going, so we couldn't couldn't afford to just go out there and do it like that, you know. But, um, you know, that's when we did the album. We got the distribution. And, you know, I really believe that if we would have had the the resources to maybe, maybe go out to Europe because, oh, my gosh, if we could tour Germany and maybe Greece, we could probably survive. Even like right now, we have such a good following out there. Not so much domestically, but a lot in Europe and, and even like the Eastern Bloc com- uh, countries as well. You know, it's crazy. It's, you know, when you go to the 80s, I mean, the whole metal scene was happening here in the U.S. You had a lot going on in, in, in the United Kingdom also, but today it's all over in Europe. Greece and, and Germany are like diehard. I mean, they live and breathe it every day. I mean, South America. I mean, Big it's time, incredible yeah. how it's you know become so global. I mean, it probably was back then, too. We just didn't know it because we didn't have an Internet to go to and, and check things out on, you know. But it's just amazing when you think about, like, you know, the appeal of the band overseas. And 1987, you know, I mean, here in New York, we had a club called Lamore. They were like the premier rock club here in, in uh, New York City. That's where every band that came to yeah. the town played. And we had a great, vibrant scene right. here. But, you know, there was enough going on throughout the other boroughs here that, for bands to play. Now you have L.A. How hard was it to break into the L.A. club scene by 87? Like you said, hair metal is taking off. Bands like, you know, Motley Crue, Poison already yeah. playing arenas. You got all yeah. the bands coming under them. How hard was it to break into that scene where you can, you know, actually get out there and play enough? I, I actually think that it was almost impossible at that time. Um, I think the last one of the last bands to get through during that time was Warrant, I think, and then pretty much everything just kind of fell, started falling apart. But it was it was almost 
you almost had to be like that band where everybody lived and breathed and drank, you know, all the same thing. They had to live, they basically had to live in LA. You had to basically almost sell your soul at, at that point to really make it. And, you know, like I said, we, we had, you know, we just couldn't do that. We, we were, we had a bunch of stuff going on in our own personal lives where we had relationship stuff. But I, I would say that it was virtually impossible by the time it was like 87. I think 81 and 82, there would have been a chance, but at that point we just didn't have our stuff together and we were still too young to really pull anything together. We didn't start getting it together till like the mid late eighties. And by that time it was so saturated. Everybody was coming to LA and it, because of that, you got the good, the bad, and the ugly that would come in. You know, it was just, I mean, oh my gosh, it was just horrendous. And, and the pre-sale, um, you know, talking to promoters at the time, and I'm sure, you know, even in New York, you probably encountered a few that just, it got to that point to where, you know, the bands were, were left holding the bag. The bands were the ones that had to sell the tickets. They had to make sure that, you know, we, I remember we played a gig with Y&T way back when, and, and very few guys, very few people remember Y&T. Um, you have to be a little bit older like that. Like but, yeah. you know, they were yesterday and today before they were Y&T. We actually played with them. And uh, the guy that promoted it promoted, hey, man, you're playing with the Y&T stuff. We sold, I want to say, we sold something like 150 tickets at, like, back then. This was probably, this was like 80, this was like after the album came out. It was like 88. And we sold, like, I don't know, 150. 40, 150 tickets at like 15 bucks a piece. And that's not anything that's just to, to, you know, back then. It was a lot. And the guy snaked us on that. We were in, you know, he told us, you know, you sell 100 tickets, anything over that, you keep the money. Well, of course, the day of the concert, we give him the money. He goes, oh, no, I told you 200 tickets, which he didn't do. But yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff you ran into, you know, back then. So but, you live and learn. Yeah. Th- that's true. I mean, by, by I mean, I guess around '88, maybe '89. That's when the band kind of called it a day. Was it a combination? I mean, there were multiple. I mean, you've been the one constant in the band since the beginning. But and there have been so many lineups of the band. I can't even name them all. You would probably know better than me. Uh, but was oh, yeah. it a combination oh, yeah. of you know, like it says, like maybe missing the boat or the Chinese, you know, the constant lineup changes that were taking place, or you know, dealing with the clubs and the promoters? What was the final straw that you said, you know, we have to call it a day? Have you ever seen the movie Spinal Tap? Yes. <laughs> okay. It's 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 one of those movies that's really funny, but it's also one of those movies that hits so close to home that yep. it's cringeworthy, you know. But um, what happened for us, and I'll, I'll be completely honest, it was one of those things that some people that are that are family that are also in bands work together really nice. We just didn't. My my. Um, my brother-in-law, Larry, who was an incredible singer, married to my sister. My sister was basically, if you want to look at the part, she was basically uh, David St. Hubbins' girlfriend. You know, when I saw that, I was like, ah, you know, he just, it was yeah. like, started having a panic attack. Where's the Xanax? Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> so it was, it was, uh, it was family, you know. And, and so, you know, we call it a day so that we could still have a family, which we do. But, um, you know, now I'm older, kids are out of the house, and it's like, hey, now I got, you know, probably 10 albums worth of material, so let's, let's do this again. And, and uh, so we did that. <laughs> we did a live stream, which we never should have done. So <laughs> we did a live stream when we first got it together. I go, oh, my gosh, that was terrible. 
Um, op- the optics were, were terrible. The, the, the acoustics were terrible, but, um, you know, we did it and, and it's like, okay, that was kind of, that was kind of like us trying to, you know, kind of push, push, start the, the, the band back together. But, um, yeah, we've got, you know, I've got a, I've got a studio right now that we're going to, um, start doing pre-production and, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to start churning out some stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I've, I've had some, I got some stuff from 30 years ago. So, you know, all the way to, to current. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go, you know, oh, I'm not getting great. any younger and, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's like, I got to get this stuff out there, you know, I'm happy. Well, you know, I brought a lot of attention to the band also when, I don't know if you were Flynn Records just re-released a lot of the the demo stuff from '84. Uh, I don't know if you guys were part of that. It was a bootleg because I never heard of that label till I saw the the Emerald release come out on it. I was like, "Wow, holy cow!" So were you guys aware of this, or was it something? Yeah. That... It's you know, it's it's really weird. This guy reached out to me from Italy, and he said he had one of our an obscure demo. And I'm like, he's like, "Hey, can I release it?" I go, "Well, I'd like to." there's a couple songs in there that I want to that I've actually got ready to go one of them I actually have Vinny Apathy playing drums on which you know I wanted to release you know as as a like a you know maybe a solo record maybe not necessarily um, Emerald but you know got Vinny playing on there and it just kills and, and so, uh, it was a song it's a song called Deceiver and that's one of the songs on the demo and I go I really want to wait you know so if you could wait to release it he's like oh okay so a few months ago, I get this thing. Hey, okay, it's out. Blah blah. It sounds great and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, dude, we're supposed to wait. I said, I told him he could release everything except for like two songs. Yeah. And one of those songs was Deceiver, and he released it anyway. So yeah, he's in in Italy. I'm here in the states, and that you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that's out on the internet that I I have no idea where people have gotten it. Somebody's making money, but it's not me. You know. So <laughs> that's um, true, right? So yeah, so that. Yeah, so that that release is basically I've got some. He sent me like I don't know. He sent me some. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sign them. I'm going to number them. I'm going to shrink wrap them, and then I'll have them for sale somewhere. And you know, uh, you know, maybe we'll be able to put something together that'll that'll help us to to fund the album. You know, but yeah. So that was kind of like after the fact. I'm like, well, he's like, well, you know what can we do? And I'm like, well, there's nothing I really can do because it's out there on the internet and you've already done it. So I can't tell you to undo it, you know? So that's kind of where we're at. And, and it's never been about the money anyway, but then, you know, when you see your album on eBay going for 850 bucks and somebody buying it, then you start going, Hey, somebody is making money, but it definitely isn't me, you know? Exactly. So that's kind of like where we're at right now. So I, I would love to be able to sell some stuff so that we can actually help to fund our album get a, a, a one a, a really good one out there you know sure absolutely well I mean the first one was re-released I think once or twice over the years wasn't it say that again I'm sorry the first EP was released I think once or twice many years later by different labels right right so that was released um, was it Magdalene Records I think and it was like a there was another band called Oracle that was on the other part of it so yeah, a split one, that yeah. was still the same that was still the same recording but the one that we just did is a complete uh, digital remix that I produced and I, I put out a couple of new songs on it so and I've got some of those CDs and I've got some vinyl there for sale that I'll I've got a website that I need to put up um, it's going to be I believe it's called uh, Emerald Ar- Arm for Battle. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to get that get back to it. But 
I'm going to do that and start selling um, some of the, the remix ones. So the remix ones actually has um, the, the original EP, but it also has two new songs, which are not new because they were, we, we recorded in the initial recording, we, we recorded eight songs, but we only had the money to produce and to print six of those. So that's why it was an EP instead of an LP. So the other two, we ended up putting on this, this new release that we did. And we've got a an alternate version of a song called Trader on there. It's actually we we did two versions of Trader, and then there was a compilation album that we did called Cal Metal uh, Cal Metal Two, I believe. And uh, there was two songs on that. One was Born to Die. One was Trader, but that was the fast version of Trader. This is actually the original version of Trader that is on the uh, the remix, the digital remix and remaster of Uncle Battle that we just put out. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a lot going on. So that's you what's know, been going on for the last, like, 30, 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's something I wanted to ask you. You know, yeah. like, when metal first came around in the early 80s, it was just heavy metal. We had hard rock for bands like ACDC, and there was heavy metal for bands like everybody else. And then everything started getting labeled right. and, and separated the genres. I remember sometime in the mid-80s, I hear, oh, you got to check out this band Trouble. They're like a white metal band. I'm like, what the heck is a white metal band? You know, and then like, oh, that's like, you know, a, a Christian metal band. And then they, then they said, you know, Emerald's right. a Christian metal band. And I was like, okay, I mean, to me, music is music. I don't care, you know, what your, what your religion is. I'm exactly. Christian, so I don't care. But I, I never heard that in any right. of your lyrics. So how did that label stick to the band? I mean, that might be your personal beliefs, and maybe the band was based on it, but musically, not even in the lyrics that I yeah. can find. I guess, you know, maybe because at the time, you know, everybody was talking, everything was dark lyrically, and maybe because our lyrics were not dark, they were more, I don't know, if you've ever heard of the band Trouble, which was yeah, really Trouble, shadow, yeah. like influence. Absolutely. Same, same kind of vibe, you know, they, you know, Trouble had more of a, I guess more of a positive outlook, like a glass is half full kind of a thing. I guess that's the way that we would look at it, you know, like instead of being doom and gloom, you know, we were not, you know, that way. So yeah, if that's, you know, but to me, it's like, you know, you could look at the first, you could look at Sabbath master of reality. And if you didn't know that was black Sabbath, you might say, man, that's a white metal band, even though, (laughs) even though the music was dark, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and geezer, I would say geezer's probably, you know, lyric writing, I would say Geezer's probably my biggest influence, lyric writing. So yeah. a lot of my lyrics would be a lot like his, and his were, you know, coming from that point of view. So maybe, you know, they didn't say that about Sabbath back then because they were Sabbath, you know, with us. And there was, you know, I mean, arguably you can say Striper came coming out of, you know, Southern California and stuff, and not too far away from us. They could have, you know, people could have made that connection, but my influence was more geezer butler sabbath type stuff you know yeah um not to say that you know i'm not denying the the christianity part because you are what you eat like i said you know but it's like you know i definitely didn't want to go out there it's like you know with any labels because like you said it's like white metal black metal blah blah it's like to me it's like i grew up and i grew up in the 70s so you know it was hard rock and you know of course you know sabbath to me is like the epitome of metal so and now and they're from like the late 60s so true there, there must have been a spandex shortage in, in California especially between the yellow and green oh, colors between God. you and Striper going with the yellow and the green there must have been a shortage of yellow and green spandex oh, back then dude, dude I, I am so it, it was one of those weird things where you're trying to find your identity you know yeah and everybody was doing it and so yeah I mean I'll, I'll even be one of the first ones to admit to go you know hey 
I, you know, we, we kind of tried this out, but it was, really wasn't us because you listen to the music and then you see us, you know, like, okay, that's not hair metal music, you know? Yeah, it didn't fit. But for a little while, we kind of, we kind of jumped on. It was like, what are we doing? You know, so we got away, we got away from that. But the funny thing is, is um, one of our roadies was actually um, an ex roadie for the band Pantera at the time. And he actually was dating uh, Dimebag's sister, who ended up passing away. I, I feel so bad for that family, man, because there was yeah, so much loss in that yeah. family. Well, Jim, the guy that was roading for us, he had like the first Pantera album, and I, I go, "Wow, you could have said that they kind of did the hair metal thing back then too," you know? Absolutely, so, and those first three records you know, were all like was, that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then they kind of just went to where their, you know, where their group was. But that's kind of us, you know, we, we kind of tried that for a while, and it was like, you know, we, I still have people, you know, <laughs> I go, you could actually extort money, uh, you know, <laughs> from, from me if I had some with pictures like that, you know, so it's, it's, it's uh, embarrassing, but hey, it was, it was part of us trying to find our identity in a, in a, in a uh, market that was just saturated. You know, with that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Well, even though it was said when Emma landed, but you know, you kind of didn't wait too long because I remember Seventh Sign after that. I think the girl's name was Brenda that was singing in the band at the time. Yeah, Brenda, yes. Oh my gosh, she has such a voice. To me, she was a cross between like Pat Benatar and like Doro Pesh mixed together. I mean, what an incredible singer. Oh, yeah. And you put out some great music with that band for a couple of years, and then it, that faded away. And I'm like, wow. I mean, the times did change by the time, you know, by the mid 90s, but that was some great stuff. I mean, uh, it's hard to explain it. It was like a little metal, a little hard rock, a little AOR. It was a little bit of everything mixed together, but yes. it works so well. That's exactly. That's exactly right. It's it's uh, it's uh, you know the funny thing is is we're we're actually going to be doing some some new music with them too. So, and Brenda's voice is still there. It sounds great as ever. We, we did this one song called White Lies, and and she did the, her vocals to me sounded like almost like Getty Lee, you know, and I'm yeah. like, oh my God, it was like Robert Plant, Getty Lee, you know, on a chick, and I'm like, oh, if you could sing like this, we'll make a lot, you know, it'll, it'll be great, you know, but um, yeah, so hopefully, you know, within the next couple of years, if things keep going away their own, you know, hopefully in the next couple of years, I'm, I'm uh, looking at a follow-up Seven Sign album, a follow-up Emerald album, and then probably a... Um, a, a just one just a solo thing that's you know I'll have like guest musicians on I've got like I said I, I did actually two songs with Vinny Apice and he actually I've got a music store here and I did a, a drum clinic and I've got you know you've probably heard of a thing called the NAMM show that uh, yeah. the music kind of symposium they, they have out here normally out in, in, in January well I met Vinny a few years back and super nice guy and is like one of my favorite drummers of all time and my brother-in-law that's that's my my wife's brother grew up listening to like Axis from back in the day and and Vinny was playing drums back then yeah and so I remember name dropping you know the song called Armageddon and stuff and and my my brother-in-law is just like in love with Vinny so anyway I I had a drum I had a drum clinic at my shop and Vinny came and did it, and I had him meet my brother-in-law and stuff. And anyway, I asked Vinny, I go, hey, do you do any freelance stuff? He goes, yeah, if I like the, if I like the music. So I sent him some songs, and he loved the stuff. So we laid some tracks down, and that's going to be on the solo album whenever we put that, whenever I put that out. So that'll be cool. 
So you, you've been, I mean, you've been really busy when you think about it. Well, you know, between the three bands, I mean, that, that's a lot going on. And I can't wait to hear all this. But going back to Emerald, I think it was maybe two or three years ago uh, when you kind of put the band back together. I know it was a festival. I can't remember the name of it. The Throwback Metal Festival or something, I think it was called. Yeah. That you yeah, guys were exactly. playing at. When you went to go put the band back together, were there, were there certain people you were looking to get back into the band? Was the original lineup, the classic lineup? There were like six or seven different lineups over the years. Who were you looking to get back in the band back then? Yes. So basically, so that that get together was, um, of course, Kyle on drums, you know, the drummer from Arm for Battle, and then Roger Martin, who actually laid down the original tracks for um, Arm Arm for Battle. After that, he went on to a band called Vengeance Rising. Yeah. But he he was one that did the original tracks. He's the one that actually paid the first fifteen hundred bucks to do the recording. So I wanted to have him come out to be a part of it. So he lives in in Nashville now, and we flew him out just for that, uh, just to do that, you know, and just kind of see where it was it was going to lead. But um, we also had my the bass player Paul from from Seven Sign. He actually played keyboards that night. And we had Rich, who was one of the vocalists that we've had for Battle. There was a time when we were recording Arm for Battle that we went in the studio with Rich originally. Then it kind of fell apart. And then that's when I got Larry, the, the vocalist that was at the beginning, to, to finish album. And that's when we came up with that lineup. But um, basically, the, the, the reunion was would basically, you know, show that, hey, we're back, we're going to start doing an album, and it was, you know, we did, oh man, we didn't work out a lot of bugs for the last performance, but the, it looks like um, the new Emerald lineup, uh, Kyle's going through some health issues right now with his, his back and his neck and stuff, so I'm waiting for him on drums, um, and then, so it looks like he's going to be on drums, Paul, the bass player for Seven Sign, will be on bass um, for both Seven Sign and Emerald, and then, um, as far as singer, we're still kind of, you know, I might sing a couple of songs, but we've got a couple of guys in mind, nothing real, like, um, set in stone. We've got a guy who played with Kyle, the drummer, when he was off doing something else. So it, it's possible he could be um, singing on it, but we'll find more when we get, um, through the, um, the pre-production part of it and kind of see where it goes from there. I, mean, I can't wait. Do you think, I mean, we're halfway through the year, so you think maybe next year this will all come to light? I'm hoping so. I'm, I mean, right now it's like the, the, the studio's just about where it needs to be. So we're going to um, probably, um, I, yeah, I would say this time next year by this time or closer to Christmas we should have at least one, maybe two um, projects out. That's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. It sounds like a long time away, but I notice as I get older, the days, the weeks, the months, they just keep going faster and faster and faster, so it'll be here before you know it. Oh, it's it's hard. You know, I mean, the main thing is going to be, I think right now is going to be uh, getting Kyle healthy, but if we don't, it, it, it may be a seven-sign thing even before an emerald thing, you know, um, depending on how Kyle comes, you know, comes back from his nerve stuff that's going on with his back but um just kind of go from there but it, it looks like you know it'll probably be seven sign first but you never know that's true i can't wait for both of them dave i'm gonna let you go because i want to play a couple of songs by both of those bands and we're gonna wrap up tonight's show right after that but when these albums come out no matter which band comes out first let's come back on the show and do this all over again we'll promote the hell out of it for you 
I would be honored. I really appreciate um, I pl- I appreciate the love, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike. I uh, it, it really was a, a cool uh, time with you. It's my pleasure, Dave. I've been a big fan for decades. I can't wait to hear the new music. You have a great weekend. Take care. I know it's almost over now, but enjoy what's left of it. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. All right, let's jump into some Emerald. You know what? I'm going to get us some Seven Sign after that. Let me know what you think. I don't think a lot of people have heard this band and know about them, but let's do a little Emerald Judgment Day.
Sorry with everything. I want to thank Dave for being on tonight's show. We got about 20 minutes or so left, I think. We'll get us some more music between now and then. There's no show next Sunday night. I am on vacation, so we won't be here to do it, but we'll be back August. I don't know. What's the first uh, Sunday in August? The 7th? Yeah, August 7th. We'll be back live with Josh Christian from Toxic. So don't forget to tune in by then. I'm getting all the guests for August lined up right now. We got a pretty good lineup for the month coming up, so stick around. Play some of the reruns next week when I'm out here on the air live with everybody. All right. I saw some interview. Some interview asked Wolf Hoffman how he feels about the Pantera reunion. And I was left. I was like, you're asking Wolf Hoffman, who's the only original member left in Accept. That's exactly what he said during the interview. He goes, I'm the last person you should be asking. He goes, I'm the last original member left in Accept. So he goes, who am I to talk? So you got to give it up to Wolf Hoffman. He knows the situation. He knows the deal. Uh, but, you know, like I said... 
you know, he was like, listen, if the music is out there, people are playing it, you know, God bless them, let them go do it, be happy with what you're doing. And I was, you know, like, I'm not a, I was never really a fan of Pantera, like, you know, the Filosamo version of Pantera. I do like those first couple of records with Terry Glaze on there. I just wasn't a fan after that. I never really got what they were doing. Uh, that's just me. And like I said, you know, things like this are going to keep happening with bands. If you're not happy about it, don't buy the record, don't go see the band, and they'll get the hint that these aren't the lineups that you want to see. You know, we're just talking to David, but, you know, uh, uh, the Abbott's all passing away, the sister, the brothers, they're all gone, you know. That that was the core of the band, but they want to do it. If you don't like it, don't go see the show. I, I think it was last year, or maybe the year after that, uh, Rex Brown was doing an interview, and they were asking him about, like, a possible reunion, and about Zach Wilde playing guitar. He's like, that will never happen. He goes, I'm just going to put it out there right now, so it's not brought up again. Zach Wilde will not be playing guitar with a reunited uh, Pantera, yet Zach, <laughs> Zach Wilde, I'm sorry, Zach Wilde is playing guitar with Pantera, so so much for that guy, what he says. I mean, who's running the show? I guess it's Phil, or maybe the Abbott's family. They said they got their blessing for it, because I guess they're getting a little money out of it, and maybe they need it. I, I really don't know, but like I said, not a big fan of the band, or, you know, anything going on with this. I can care less. Ah, alright. Let's jump back into the music right now. We got brand new Senator to do. We'll get on a couple of songs before then. Uh, you know, we were talking about Trouble during the interview. Let's do some Trouble. We will do maybe a little Blind Assassin, and then we'll do some Brand New Center.
Alright, that's Brand New Sinner. That's the title track of the new record, Brotherhood. Just came out. I'm not really crazy. I mean, it's a catchy song. I'm just not really crazy about it. I mean, but that's kind of the direction the band has been going in for a very long time. I mean, I did like the Wild and Evil record from 82 or 83 came out. The first two or three weren't bad records until Danger Zone. Uh, then the band really started getting a little bit more and more commercial, and now they're completely there. They're like a poor man's Def Leppard, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Matt Sinner's a pretty nice guy, but I've had him on the show before, and he's a pleasant guy to talk to. Just not that crazy about the new album. All right, we're going to play a couple of more songs. We're going to wrap it up here right after that, so this is the last you're going to hear from me. Hey, Raven announced a new record coming out this fall. I cannot wait. They never disappoint, let's be honest. They always give you good records, so I'm looking forward to that. So how about we do something with the little Raven and a little Udo together. This was their version of Born to be Wild. I actually still have the 7-inch picture disc of this record. I bought it when it came out. And then after that, we'll follow it up with, uh, let me see, a little Manaya Blade and something brand new from Steel Inferno. This is a band I kind of came into later. They've been around for about 10 years. I think they have two records out. This is the new single off their last record. We're going to close out tonight's show with that. It's called Siren of the Air. But first, Udo, Raven, Born to be Wild. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you in August with Josh Christian from Toxic as our guest.
Put industry leading, difference making, and tomorrow shaping on your to-do list. Explore Deloitte technology careers at deloitte.com slash tech careers and engineer your future at Deloitte. House of Roll presents a life well-crafted. Five iconic luxury brands sharing the spotlight in one lavish house of brands. Roll, Rhea Bell, Perrin and Rowe, Victoria and Albert, and Shaw's. To discover the full scope of design possibilities for your kitchen and bath, look no further than House of Roll. Reimagine your own setting at houseofroll.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.